Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Hello and welcome to Hope Online today. Please say hello in the chat and let us know that you're here, where you're watching from today. Uh, my name is Mark, I'm one of the lead pastors here at Hope Church up in the ISS space station. And today I've got a message for you called Hope is the answer and I pray that it will be an answer for you today whatever is going on in your life this week. Now I must admit I was in two minds about using the uh, dodgy doggy brownie skit (laughs) earlier on but I gave in to the temptation because it made me chuckle Um, but I do hope you'll see how it links into today's message as we go along. Now, actually, I'm going to move. I'm going to come back down to earth because I saw a wonderful sign in London that I think is going to be a perfect backdrop to today's message. So engage the transporter beam. We'll be back in a second. Hey, hope is the answer. Hope is the answer. Did you not know that? Okay. Well, you know, it's been exciting times in the faithful household uh, this month. Our son, Jake, and his girlfriend, Rivka, have announced that they are engaged. And I overheard a very interesting conversation of the day between Lydia and Jake. It's very kind of sweet mother and son moment that they had uh, with me listening at the door. Anyway, but Lydia was was suggesting in her, you know, that you know that gentle, subtle way that she has that perhaps Jake needed to, you know, get on um, with organising some of the aspects of the wedding. Otherwise, things weren't going to happen in quite the way that him and Rivka were hoping. Now, before I tell you how he replied, let me share a couple of stories with you about Jake. Stories that will help you uh, understand. Yeah, stories that have helped define this young man of God and his quiet faith. Now, the first one involves him, his sister Bethany, and a toilet. Jake was about eight years old. And one day we heard these quiet crying, sounds of distress coming from the toilet and after some coaxing we got Jake to open unlock the door come out and he emerged and he explained through his tears that his his beloved Nintendo DS his little handheld computer game had fallen down the toilet and was ruined so in case you ever wondered what little boys get up to in the toilet for so long they're playing video games anyway Jake's beloved Nintendo was dead and he was distraught well, after calming down a little bit, he went off with his sister Beth. And being the lovely girl of faith that she was, she decided to, to fix the problem. But what could she do? Well, she remembered that there, there was a competition in that week's edition of the Beano. She was deeply intellectual for a 12-year-old as Bethany, a Beano reader. Anyway, there was a competition in that week's Beano, and the prize was a brand new Nintendo DS handheld computer game. So Beth thought, well, problem solved. I'll just win the competition and give Jake the Nintendo. Oh, the innocent faith of children, Lydia and I thought. Well, about three weeks later, a parcel arrived in the post. 
a brand new Beano branded Nintendo DS handheld video game system. Beth had won the competition and gave the prize to her little brother. You see, Beth was modelling a faith for Jake that would deeply shape her little brother's view of the world. So fast forward a few years, Jake is at university, he's in Wales, our little boy has left home, he is studying in a foreign country. Wales is dangerous, they have storms and floods and sheep. Well on this day in question, there was a severe storm forecast and the university had closed, Jake had left early to catch the train back home from Newport in Wales to his flat in Cardiff. Unfortunately, being a stranger in a foreign land, Jake got confused. He got on the wrong train, which took him to Cumbran, not Cardiff. Cumbran is not Cardiff. Anyway, he got off the train in Cumbran thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? And then there's an announcement that comes out that says, oh, all the train lines are flooded and there's going to be no more trains back to Cardiff today. Now what's he going to do? Well, as it happens, there were a couple of other people on the train who were also trying to get to Cardiff. There weren't people that Jake had ever had met, never spoken to them, but they decided they were going to band together and get in a taxi back to Cardiff. And they saw Jake standing there looking lost and they invited him to get in the taxi with them to go to Cardiff. So he said, well, yes, please. Thanks very much. He rode with them to Cardiff. And when they got there, he, he tried to give them some money towards the taxi fare and they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear of it. Now, when Jake told us about his amazing adventures. You know, he didn't seem quite so amazed by the turn of events as Lydia and I did. But we later discovered that this was just simply how Jake saw the world. It's just one mini miracle after another. Things always work out for me, he says. You see, he understands what it means to live under God's favour. Things always work out for me. That's how he describes his life. Now, the Apostle Paul calls that hope. Hope, a confident expectation of good, is how the Amplified Bible puts it. And I can't think of a better ex explanation, you know, a better short description that describes how Jake looks at the world, his outlook on life. He is someone who always has a confident expectation of good. On, on Boxing Day last year, Jake sent an email to someone um, to apply for a job that he's seen advertised. But the, the response he got back was that, well, you know, you're not an ideal fit. You don't have the experience that we're looking for. So what did Jake do? Jake, the man who says things always work out for me, who has a confident expectation of good, well, he went back to the business owner and he started talking to them and he said, well, maybe I could come in as an intern, maybe you could bring me on as a trainee. And sure enough, he's just completed the end of month number three working for that job and he loves it. You see, when you have a confident expectation of good, when you have hope, when hope defines how you look at life, it changes your life. It changes your life for the better. Now, on more than one occasion, on more than one occasion, as Jake was growing up, you know, going off to, to college and later to uni, you know, renting a flat in Cardiff, e even organising his wedding, I must admit, on more than one occasion, I've had this, this little concern that 
he sometimes seems a little bit lackadaisical, a little careless. I mean, he doesn't ever look like he's bothered to plan or organise anything. But last week, when I heard him having that conversation and he explained how he looks at the world, he declared, well, things always work out for me. I realised that he's not careless, but he does have less cares than most other people I know. Why? Because he lives with a confident expectation of good. So today I want to take a few moments to explore what it means. What does it mean to live with a confident expectation of good? Because when you have a confident expectation of good, when you live your life in alignment with the truth that God has a good plan for your life, when your hope is based on God's good promises, not your own bad imaginations of what might go wrong. You know, this this is what God says to you today. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, there is, there is much less temptation to try and take shortcuts or to try and compromise in order to get what you want when you live in hope that God will do for you what he has said he will do. Yet when you live with that confident expectation of good. It's been said that the biggest temptation we face in life is the temptation to give up what we want most for what we want now. Right. If you're taking notes, you want to write. You might want to write that down and stick it on your fridge, okay? Because it is so true. The biggest temptation we face is the temptation to give up what we want most for what we want now, and the temptation is there because if we're really honest with ourselves, we doubt that what we want most will ever really happen, and so we settle for second best. Yeah, we settle for for a relationship we know is not right. We go, we stick with the wrong job. We engage with the wrong kind of entertainment. You know, the the temptations that we face today they are no different really than those that have faced people ever since the days of the Garden of Eden. Now, last week we looked at the the story of Adam and Eve, and their story revolves around the temptations that they faced and gave into. And you can summarise summarize them in, in kind of three ways. First of all, there was the desire and the needs of the body. Yeah, They looked at the, that, the fruit of that tree and they saw that it was good for food. The second type of temptation is the insecurity that craves power and affirmation. Yeah, They, they desired to be like God and to have knowledge. And the, the third type of temptation that we face is the temptation that comes from a rebellious heart. You know, Did God really say... You don't have to do what you're told. You can't tell me what to do. I can choose for myself, that kind of thing. This is part 24. Can you believe that? Part 24 of our series, The Promise and the Purpose, when we're walking slowly through the book of Luke and of Acts. Last week, we finished working our way through the family tree of Jesus. And then Luke picks up the narrative story again. He ended the family tree of Jesus with Adam, who was described as the son of God. 
And then the camera shifts now from the Garden of Eden back to the River Jordan, where Jesus has just been baptised by John, when the Spirit of God has descended upon him like a, like a dove, and a voice from heaven has declared, This is my Son! And then, just as everything is looking like it's going right, Jesus faces the biggest trial of his life so far. Read with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan River and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all of that time and became very hungry. And then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus told him, No, the scripture says that people do not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of all of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I'll give it all to you if you worship me. And Jesus replied, Well, the scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Well, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, well, if you're the son of God, jump off. Don't the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you? They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responds, well, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now, you you would be wrong to assume, like like we so often do assume, I think, that facing a difficulty, facing a trial, is a sign somehow that God is displeased with you. That somehow that there's this uh, big sin in our life that's given the devil an inroad into our life. And if only we were better we will be saved these kinds of difficulties. You know, Jesus, he was, the, he was the perfect son of God, yet he still faced temptations. And if he did, then we will too. So let's just take a look at how Jesus dealt with these temptations, because how he did it, we can too. Turn to someone and say, if Jesus did it, I can too. Why? Because the same spirit of power that filled Jesus and raised him from the dead lives in him. So if he did it, you can too. So how did our story start? First one of Luke chapter 4 was this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the river Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So step one of how to deal with temptation is simply this, to be already full of the Holy Spirit and to allow yourself to be Spirit-led. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off event, it's an ongoing way of life. And the result is the ability to be led by the Spirit. That ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit, that familiarity with the Spirit of God, helps you become more sensitive to that, that still, small voice, to be able to follow his promptings. And how do you do that? Well, this comes through prayer, through worship, and through regular reading 
of the word of God. You know, it's not it's not rocket surgery. Read the Bible and learn about God. Pray and speak to God. Remind yourself who God is and what he has done through worshipping God. That's the secret formula to a Holy Spirit filled and spirit led life. Jesus did it and we can too. You know, being spirit led does not mean that we will never face temptation, but it does mean that we are equipped to deal with it when it does come. Now, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert. He was hungry. He would have been really cold at night, really hot during the day. He was alone for a month and a half. I remember uh, advice I was given at a, a teenage youth camp. He said, always watch out when you are hurt, angry, lonely or tired. Or hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you know? H-A-L-T, hurt, angry, lonely, or tired. And never make a big decision. You need to halt when you're hurt, angry, lonely, or tired. Because temptation is hardest to resist when you're hurt, angry, lonely, or tired. You need to halt. Just halt what you're about to do. Don't do something you're going to regret just because you're hurting or angry or lonely or tired. And Jesus, he would have been surely hungry and lonely and tired after being 40 days in the desert and then along comes the tempter the accuser of the brethren the serpent from the garden of eden and just like in eden he starts off by saying well did god really say yeah to jesus the tempter says if you are the son of god well prove it to the hungry man the tempter says get yourself some bread if you can now from some perspectives what what was said actually kind of looks a bit reasonable if you're hungry eat something if god has given you the power to do miracles we'll use it test it out here in the wilderness there's no one watching so you can test it make sure you really are the son of god you're not just suffering from delusions caused by hunger and heat stroke but here's the thing so often the, the thing that you're tempted to do is is rarely the the real issue yeah the the devil is is the faster of lies the master of misdirection the devil said well the temptation was framed as how to soothe the pain of hunger in jesus's body but but jesus he he sees behind this to the real issue you know the thing behind the thing the temptation is not really about hunger it's about trust and hope is about having a confident expectation of good the devil says if you're hungry fix it for yourself but jesus says no i'm going to trust in god and what he says in scripture yeah verses three and four it said the devil said to him if you are the son of god tell this stone to become a loaf of bread and jesus said no the scripture says that people do not live by bread alone See, the devil was saying, what is important is how you feel. If you feel hungry, then fix it. And Jesus says, no, what the scripture says is what is important, not how I feel. See, we we fight with the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God, which is why reading the Bible, you know, becoming familiar with it is essential to living a spirit led life. You have to get to know your weapon, how to handle the sword of the spirit. And when they, when they were making the Lord of the Rings movies, Viggo Mortensen, you know, the chap who played Aragorn, son of Arathorn, yeah, he would he would often be seen carrying his character's big sword around with him. You know, he did it all the time. He was often found practicing with it on his days off. 
And he said it was because he needed to become familiar with it. So it became second nature of how to walk, how to sit, how to ride a horse with his big four-foot sword strapped to his waist. Now, wielding the sword of the Spirit, the words of Scripture, needs to become second nature to us. And that only comes through familiarity. You know, this first class of temptation is the kind that serves the needs or desires of our body, whether it's the, the, the desires are caused by hunger or desire to, to drink something or drugs or sex or, or have things and material possessions. You know, any, all the, anything it is that our flesh desires. And the lie is that what you feel is so important that you need to do anything you can in order to feel better and to avoid feeling bad. But Jesus exposes this line. He says there is something more important than what the flesh desires. And that thing is the word of God. Now, what is it the Bible says about this situation I'm facing? What are you going to trust more? How you feel? Or what God says to be true? Well, the devil doesn't give up on Jesus. He tries again, this time with a different tactic. Instead of tempting the flesh, he next goes after the ego, the mind, the emotions. You know, the, the insecurity that can affect us all and the, the, the desire that we have to be in, a, in, in control and have power over our destiny and our situation. The devil takes Jesus up to a high place and shows him all the nations of the world laid out. All this is mine, he says. It's been delivered to me and I will give it to you if you just worship me. Now notice that Jesus doesn't challenge the devil's claim. You know, this present evil age and the world does indeed lie under the sway of the wicked one. But Jesus denies the choice that he's being offered. He denies the terms of the deal. You know, now the right thing gained the wrong way is still wrong. The end does not justify the means. The, the means corrupts the end if they're wrong and Jesus will not compromise and offer the devil worship in order to reclaim the world for himself now spoiler Jesus will end up reclaiming the earth you can read about it in the book of revelation it happens when the seventh trumpet sounds but he's going to do so on God's terms and he's not going to literally make a deal with the devil in order to make it come to pass more quickly or more easily what did Jesus say in verse 8? Jesus replied, the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So it's Jesus to devil nil so far. So first of all, the devil tempted Jesus with the desires of his flesh to try and get them to rule him. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to let the, the word of God rule me. And then the devil tried again. He went after Jesus's ego. He says, you can rule all over the world. You could make the world a better place. Imagine how many babies wouldn't die of starvation if you were ruling down here instead of me, right? All you have to do is worship me. Take what is supposed to be God's alone and give it to me. That's what the devil says. And Jesus won't have it. Only God deserves worship and Jesus will only serve God because the ends do not justify the means. So the third and final try, the devil goes after Jesus's trust in scripture itself in order to try and disarm him. Now Jesus has been using scripture to try and refuse the devil's temptations. And so the devil then turns scripture against Jesus, trying to get him to injure himself with his own weapon. 
So quoting Psalm 91, the devil says, well, the scriptures say angels will catch you if you jump. If you jump off the roof of the temple, prove that you can really trust scripture. So how does Jesus react to this? Because the scripture does indeed say what the devil claims it says. But here's the thing. Here's the thing we always need to remember. All of scripture is true at the same time. So taking one verse out of context, you know, in isolation and ignoring the rest of what scripture says. That's how people get themselves into messes. That's how cults get started. See, the Bible does indeed say that the angels will keep you and bear you up so you won't even stub your toe. But it also says, at the same time, being equally true, do not test God. Both verses of scripture are equally true at the same time. And so we end up holding these, these truths in tension. And this is the answer that Jesus comes to. Say, well, yeah, the scripture does indeed say the angels will guard me. But he also says, don't t- test God. So jumping off a building in order to test to see if angels are really going to catch me purely for the purpose of seeing if scripture is true, or, you know, purely for the purpose of testing God, is not right. So don't do it. In fact, there is only one place in scripture that I can think of when God actually says that we should test scripture. And this is in relation to how we trust God with our money, our tithes and our offerings. It comes in Malachi chapter 3 and it says, God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it and put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and heavens. Your grapes will not fail from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, the temptation to try and twist scripture to say what we want it, you know, to make it try and say what we want it to say, I think is a temptation that most Christians face at some point. Whether or not we realise that's what we're doing, you know, and and the easiest way to fall into that trap is when we take a verse out of context and all try to apply it while ignoring the rest of Scripture. I must say that when I think about the people I've spoken to who are struggling in their faith, stumbling in their faith, backsliding in their faith, or, or maybe, you know, struggling against making a faith commitment, it's almost always almost always the root cause of their struggle is because they've fallen into the trap of twisting scripture you know and almost always they're not doing it on purpose maybe they've just been taught wrong they don't understand maybe they've seen something on the youtube or internet that sounds plausible but actually it's misrepresenting what the bible truly says but the effect is the same if you're putting your trust in something that the bible doesn't say you're trusting in a lie and it's going to let you down. Now, if, if you go and play with the sword carelessly, what are you going to do? You're going to cut yourself and you get hurt. And the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And it cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. And if you use the word of God carelessly, you can end up getting hurt. It deserves respect and diligence, and care, and regular practice, like a sword. Now we face all kinds of temptations, 
and each one of us will find different types of temptations easier to resist or harder to resist. You know, we're not all tempted by the same things. You know, you leave a plate of buttered sprouts on the table, I'm not tempted to eat but a single one. No, no, no. But you leave out a buttonberg cake and a nice pot of tea, I'm going to be tempted to have a second slice for sure. Now, I know this to be true. I don't know much. But this much, I do. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Now, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Jesus said that we should pray, lead us not into temptation. He's better to to try and avoid temptation than endure through it. But even if we end up facing temptation, then maybe we put ourselves into that situation through our choices or someone else placed the temptation in our path. God is always faithful and he will show us an escape route, a way out. Our choice is do we take the emergency exit or not? You know, the number one effective strategy for resisting temptation, run away. Sometimes, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just a horrible kind of person, I don't know, but sometimes we can give in to temptation because we're angry with God. And we think, well, I'm going to do this thing on purpose that I know God doesn't like, as if I'm going to you know, hurt him in retaliation for the situation I find myself in thinking that maybe God caused it because he wanted to to hurt me. I don't think that God ever wants to hurt us, you know, not in a, in a vindictive way. His desire is that none should perish, that, that everyone should be saved. That's what the scripture says. But you know what? How hard God needs to push in order to get my attention, well, that's down to me. And it's down to you. I, I think it's so often you, when you look at a temptation that we're facing, it's really an attempt to take a shortcut. You know, the temptation presented to Jesus to give, to be given authority over the earth, if only he would worship the devil. The temptation is, is to shortcut the cross and the pain of it. The temptation to, to cheat on an exam or a tax return, it's shortcutting doing the work or paying the price that's due. The temptation to pursue an unhealthy relationship. It's shortcutting God's plan for your life and his blueprint for a healthy and happy marriage. Why do we feel the need to take these shortcuts? Is it because we don't have a confident expectation of good? So so we try and take this shortcut in order to try and make it happen for ourselves rather than trusting in God. You know, when it comes to defeating the temptations we face in life, we have all that we need. We have hope in God, the confident expectation that he will do you good. And this diffuses the temptation to try and take a shortcut. We have the word of God. We have the Bible, the sharp sword that disarms the words of the devil's temptations. And we have the spirit of God that leads us away from temptation if we choose to listen to it and stirs our conscience and warns us when we're about to stray off the narrow path that leads to salvation. Now, God's 
God's mercies are new every single morning. Which is another way of saying that, that today is a new day. It doesn't matter that yesterday you gave into temptation, or last week, or maybe even this morning while the countdown was running as the service started. 1 John says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know, whether you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or today you want to start walking with him for the very first time. Pray this prayer with me that comes up on the screen. Receive God's forgiveness and strength to resist temptation and the blessing that gives you a confident expectation of good every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that I've made my own choices to do things that have hurt and offended you and other people. Things that are sinful and wrong in your eyes. I have sinned in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. I'm sorry. And I ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name. I commit my life to you from this moment forwards. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and a passion for the words of Scripture. Lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil and help me see the means of escape you provide in every place of temptation. I confess that I am a child of God, that your faithfulness is great and that your mercies are new every single morning. I am free from every temptation and sin that has held power over me before now. Help me every day to enjoy a confident expectation of good. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, bless you, church. Thank you for joining us today at Hope Online. And we're going to be here every week until we get to reopen the doors of our churches. I'm going to close this part of the service right now. But the chat room will remain open. If you want to pray with a member of the team, just click that request prayer button. We'll continue to pray for you in the weeks ahead. Thank you for your prayers for us and your faithful financial support that continues to make all of this possible. God, he sees your sacrifice and the seeds that you sow will yield a harvest. That's the promise of scripture. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Now our midweek events are on Facebook and YouTube. We've got communion on the couch with me and Lydia on Monday at 7.30. There is no ladies who lead this Tuesday. Dave and Sue are taking a well-earned break, but the ladies who lead with Lydia and Sue will be back next week. Church, walk with God this week in a confident expectation of good. So be good, be happy, be healthy, be holy, and we'll see you soon. Bye for now.